Uh, I, I, did say, um, I did say this morning, there are some ones that are uh, easier to say thanks be to God uh, afterwards and some that are harder. Um, yeah, so, uh, so you've never heard the word circumcision so many times in church, have you? Good, no, okay. You probably won't uh, again. Uh, it's certainly there in that passage. Um, I said to the guys this morning, we're not going to major on that, so that's not the most important thing. But if I don't say that, we'll all be thinking it. That's Okay, so it is the sign of the covenant. That's important. Uh, but we're going to see uh, tonight that it's not the most important piece of information in this passage. And I hope to bring that to you uh, now. So how about I ask God to help us and to give us some focus that we might be able to think about God being on mission uh, in the Old Testament. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for this word that you've preserved for us. I pray tonight we might listen well, give us energy to focus and pay attention. We pray, Father, that by your Holy Spirit you take these words, take my words, apply them to our hearts, Father, so that we might be changed to be more like Jesus. We ask this in his name. Amen. Well, the question for today is, do you like change? How do you feel about change? Lauren, quick off the mark. Love, I love responsive people. I, I can see quite a lot from up here, uh, and it's great to see Lauren just straight away. Arms folded. Nuh-uh. No, I do not like change. Does anyone here actually like change? Put your hand up. Ali, yes. Peter, yes. Okay, you guys as well. Okay, and, uh, great. And you like it too, Owen. Okay. Does anyone not like change? We fear change. Yeah, that's good. Okay. Great. Uh, if you're a non-change person, the very thought of change is actually pretty terrifying. So I wonder, I've got some changes that happen uh, in your life kind of up on the screen here. Um, so some changes are different to other changes. So the change from, some of you might remember, and some of you might be yet to do it, the change from primary school to high school, uh, big change, yeah? Anyone like that? I, I remember the first day of, of, uh, of um, high school going there and just thinking, why are there adults wearing the same uniform that I am? Seriously, I, just, I remember looking up. We had some guy in our school who was six foot five. I was even more diminutive than I am at the moment. And I just remember walking past him and just going, are you for real? Like, are you a human? Like, what? So that changed for me. And all that responsibility and moving around to different classes and all that, that was a pretty huge change. I don't know if you've ever tried to change from Pepsi to Coke. Anyone? No, no. I think it's crazy talk myself. Um, but, but that would be that would be a sort of change. It would be a totally different sort of change, though, a low-level change. Uh, there are big changes, though, not, not soft drink changes. Uh, changes like uh, moving house. Has anyone, um, has anyone done that? Yeah. Now, I said this morning, sorry? Apple to PC. Well, I didn't put it up there because <laughs> foolishness uh, going the other way, see, Apple to PC, not, anyway, yeah, exactly. Uh, what, what I wanted to say, I, I worked out uh, this morning that I'd moved house 13 times. Um, and I just thought I'd see, there were people who'd done more than me. Carrie, you've done one more than me, is that right? You've done 14. Uh, has anyone done more than that? Peter, how many? Change countries twice. I'm willing to give you the upper hand there, Peter. <laughs> uh, that's very significant. That's very significant. Has anyone done more than 14 house changes? I'm sure you guys would be up there. Absolutely. So 16, something like that. Okay. Anyone push that one further? There was someone this morning who put their hand up and boldly said uh, that they'd done 21. And I thought that was really pushing things. There we go. All right. Uh, 
I mean, that's, that's an amazing achievement in its own right. That's, that's incredible though, isn't it? That's a thing. So, so what, what makes moving house hard? I think it's looking at all your stuff. Um, it's coming face to face with the fact that you own so much, insert thing here, so much stuff. Uh, it is a truly terrifying thought. In fact, last night when I was looking for it, I actually found a video I made before the last move, the most recent move we made. And what I did was I actually got my phone out and I walked around the house looking at all the boxes in the different rooms and I, I said to myself on the video, I should have shown it, it's not actually not that exciting, but I said in the video, I said, remember how much rubbish you have, don't move this much ever again. I, I just think it's a, it's a terrifying thought. So whether you like change, uh, particularly this sort of change, or whether you hate change, tonight we're going to consider God's invitation to change. So I think God calls us to change, to find change in our life, whether it's moving house or not. But we're going to think about the invitation that God has for us by looking at someone who was called to move house. So we're looking at that tonight. Uh, as we do that, we're part of this series called On Mission with God in the Old Testament. And I wanted to tell you briefly what's happened in this series of sermons so far. So here's my Bible timeline overview, uh, which if you don't already know, it actually sits on the bottom of our readings. Have you noticed this? And there's a little blue box that comes along. It'll actually tell you where the reading is in the Bible. So if you're ever wondering along the bottom of our readings, that's what's going on there. So here's our timeline of the Bible from creation to new creation, Old Testament, New Testament. Uh, we are up to about where that blue triangle is there. But so far in this series, we've seen that God is on mission. He showed us the destination to be in right relationship with him. We've seen that there's a need for God being on mission because sin has come and ruined our relationships between each other, between God and between the created world, which is around us. Last week, we saw the danger of sin being left unchecked. And Jeff spoke to us about the Burj Khalifa but more importantly about the Tower of Babel and, uh, and the way that that had unfolded in God's plan. And tonight, we're going to see something about the scope of mission, who's included in God's plan for mission in the world. So uh, this passage that we have before us, I'd love you to get your Bibles out. We're looking at Genesis chapter 12. I'll tell you a little bit of the background for this part of the Bible. First of all, when did Genesis chapter 12 happen? Well, if we put our timeline up again and put some dates on it, here we are in the present day, so that's 2017. Jesus died uh, about 33 AD. We go back a little bit further, you can see the crown there, that's King David. He's about 1000 BC. And then Abraham, who we're going to read about tonight, uh, he and his family lived about 2000 BC. So what that means for us is that this story we're looking at tonight makes the time of Abraham about 4,000 years ago. 4,000 years ago. I should remind you at this point that we have time for questions at the end, uh, and I'd love you to be asking questions of me. So when we get to the end, if you've got questions on the way through, please feel free to ask them. So that's when it was. Who are we looking at? Uh, a guy called Abram and his wife Sarai. And uh, I'm going to explain to you what happened to his name a little bit later in the, um, in the thing. But his name's Abram and a, and a woman called Sarai. And they're a couple who lived 4,000 years ago who moved house. And you're like, wonderful. How extraordinary. There are lots of people who move house. We've heard today that people have moved it up to 20 times. Some people have moved country twice. Why bother about a couple who moved house 4,000 years ago? And I want to give you three reasons why this particular couple are worth paying attention to. The first reason is, from their son Isaac, 
the Jewish faith is traced. So Abraham gave birth to, okay, birth to, no, he was the father of, uh, the father of Isaac, and Isaac, and through him and his sons and their sons and sons and sons, the, the religion of Judaism came about. This is a more surprising second reason. The second reason is through uh, Abram's side project, his slave, Hagar, he had a son called Ishmael, and the nation of Islam, or the, the religion of Islam, traces its lineage back to Abraham through Ishmael. So the religion of Islam traces its linkage back to Abraham and Sarah. Pretty amazing. The third reason that we should be interested in this couple who moved house 4,000 years ago is because Christians claim that their religion, the one that you're meeting in tonight, trace their lineage all the way back to Abraham. And I want you to see tonight how we're linked to Abraham as Christians. All right, so where did it happen? Well, uh, it mentions a place called Ur here, and um, you won't find that on too many maps today, but Ur uh, is this place here uh, in modern-day Iraq. And uh, Abraham and his family travel up to a place called Haran, uh, which is in uh, southeastern uh, Turkey, and then down to the Promised Land, uh, to a place called Bethel, and then that's Jerusalem, just so you know where it is. So, so come in a little bit closer, and the first part of the journey was to Haran, and the second part, uh, part of the journey was to Bethel. All right, that's the history. It actually happened in real history, in real geography, in real space and time. So let's dive in uh, to this story. Now, this is a photo of uh, us driving across the Hay Plain um, in the middle of um, outback New South Wales. And uh, do you know this little blue sign? Has anyone come across this blue sign before? What does it say on it, even though you can't read it up there? Mm. Stop, revive, survive. And it always has a wonderful little tree and, uh, and a little park bench there. No trees, wonderfully, at all there. But when you see that sign, you want to stop, you want to stop. And you want to take a rest uh, because you've been driving for so long. That's, that's why they come up. So I think uh, that's a helpful background. If you think about where Ur was, it's about 800 kilometers up to Haran. Let's, let's see what happened in Abraham's story. If we can open our Bibles, we're actually going to look just before uh, the start of chapter 12. Just before that, in chapter 11, we're going to look at verses 27 to 31. This is the account of Terah's family, family line, or Terah. Terah became the father of Abram. Nahor and Haran, and Haran became the father of Lot. While his father Terah was still alive, Haran died in Ur of the Chaldeans in the land of his birth. Abram and Nahor both married. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai, and the name of Nahor's wife was Milcah. She was the daughter of Haran, the father of both Milcah and Iscah. Now, Sarai was childless because she was not able to conceive. Terah took his son Abram, his grandson Lot, son of Haran, and his daughter-in-law Sarai, the wife of his son Abram. And together they set out from Ur of the Chaldeans to go to Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. Full stop. And you're like, okay, so many names. Who are these people? Why does this matter? Here's the point. Abram actually left Ur to get to Haran with his dad. And the whole family had already moved half of the way to the promised land before God spoke to Abram. So I guess the question we could ask is, they settled down. They found a place in Haran that they could stop and chill out. 
What would it take to get you moving again? If you think about your house right now, right now, what would it take to make you move from where you are right now? Does anyone want to move? Unless you're in a dodgy rental. You're just, sorry, cheaper, cheaper, a cheaper mortgage might make you move. Yeah, that's a good point. But basically, once you're settled, do you want to move? I don't want to move again. I don't want to move anytime soon. In fact, if I never have to move again, that'd be brilliant. I know that's unlikely, but I don't want to move anytime soon. So what would it take to get you moving again? Well, let's look at Abram. He did actually move again. This is him departing on a ship. Not true. But he did, he did get moving again. Have a look what it took to get him moving. Have a look, uh, 1132. Uh, Terah lived 205 years. That's a long time, let's all note. And he died in Haran. The Lord God said to Abram, go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. So here's what it took to move Abram. It takes his dad's death and a visit from God himself for Abram to leave. All right? His dad has to die. I assume he's there, settled in his house with his family. And while his dad's still alive, he thinks there's no need to do anything. I don't want to change anything. But then God appears and says to him, I want you to leave and I want you to go to the place that I'm going to show you. So uh, he wasn't likely to leave anytime soon, but his dad's death and the call of God changed everything for Abram. I want you to see these verses, chapter 12, verses 1 to 3, are some of the most famous verses in the Old Testament. So you can circle them in your Bible if you'd like to. If it's our Bible, you can still circle it, but do it neatly. How's that sound? Uh, And if it's on your phone, make a circling motion on your phone. Very good. Okay, so here's what I want you to see. I want you to see what he's leaving behind. What is it Abram has to leave behind? And then I want you to see how God matches his loss with God's provision. Okay, so have a look what he's leaving behind. It says in, uh, in chapter 12, uh, verse 1, Go from your country, your people, your father's household to the land I will show you. So first of all, he, he's called to leave his country. I think that's bound up with his identity. And Peter, if you've moved twice you'll know something about that. Uh, Then he's asked to leave his people. And I think that's his culture, uh, the the, the people that he's familiar with. And then he's asked to leave his father's household, which is his family. Now, all of those things define us. They make us who we are. And it was amazing at lunch today, I chatted to a group of people who said, there there was people from four different families sitting at the table today, and they said to them, we've done that. We've left our household, we've left our nation, we've left our family, we've left all of that behind. Interestingly enough, their testimony was, in each case, all four families said God has been faithful. So here's how God was faithful to Abraham. Here's what he said to him. He said, I want you to look forward to the fact that I will give you land. He says, go to the the land, I will show you. In response to losing his culture, God says, I will make you into a great nation and I will bless you. So God says, don't worry about losing your culture. I'll make you a culture. I'll make you into a nation in your own right. And then he says that you'll lose your family. But God says, I will make your name great and you'll be a blessing. I'll bless those who curse you. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. This great nation that will be built will become Abram's family. He's going to have a stack of offspring. So he's going to lose family, but he's going to gain enough family to be turned into a great nation. And God adds a little sprinkle, a blessing on top. He says, I will bless those who bless you. Whoever curses you, I will curse. And then he says, all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. God says it's going to cost you a lot, 
but I'm going to offer you replacement and more for everything that you will lose. So what we see here is God's plan will be specific. So God's going to talk to Abram, I am making you into a great nation. And from this point on in the Old Testament, God will deal with the people of Israel as his special possession. You are my chosen nation from all the nations in the whole world. Israel is the one that I'm going to make my plan through. So it's going to be very specific. But we see here as well that God's plan is global. It will include the Gentiles. Funny word. Uh, Anyone know what Gentiles means? Sorry? The non-Jew. It's the collection bucket for everything that isn't a Jew. So if you're a Jew, congratulations, you're God's holy people. And then there's everything else. And everything else has the wonderful category Gentiles. Okay, So God says his plan is actually to include and to bless all the people on earth, which includes the, the Gentiles. So as we read through the rest of the Old Testament, we're going to see a specific plan and also a global plan. And I want you to watch that through the series as we, um, as we go on. Uh, well, I said this morning, here's, here's a, a photo I've, I took of Abram uh, just when he was about to leave. He looks pretty happy about leaving, doesn't he? Wonderfully happy. Have a look at why Abram might look a little bit like this. Uh, see with me how old he is in verses 4 to 6. So Abram went to, uh, as the Lord God had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. He took his wife Sarai, his nephew Lot, all the possessions he accumulated, and the people he had acquired in Haran. And they set out for the land of Canaan, and they arrived there. Abram travelled through the land as far as the site of the great tree of Morah at Shechem. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. All right, so here's, here's the story. Who has God chosen? He's chosen a crusty old guy. Hasn't he? He didn't choose a sprightly youth. He chose a man who was 75 years old. And interestingly enough, he's 75 years old, and when he gets to the promised land, it's occupied. Do you notice what he said? When they got there, who was in the land? The Canaanites, hence the name of the land, Canaan, the land of the... So God says, leave everything, Mr. 75-year-old, leave everything and go to the land I'll show you. Abraham does, leaves the home, takes everything, gets to the land and... It's occupied with people who it's named after. That's a little bit awkward, isn't it? You, you'd feel a little bit let down. Hey, God, I'm trusting you. I'm on this plan. I'm hoping to go into a spacious land, but there are people here already, and I'm tired. So what happens? Well, a lot of this. A lot of this. Just waiting. Waiting. Is anyone good at waiting? I thought I'd make it awkward and you're going, can you speak soon? We hate waiting, don't we? We hate waiting. Have a look at how long Abram had to wait. Go to chapter 17. And uh, I want you, kids, you're, you're paying attention, I know. I want you to tell me how many years he was waiting from the last time. Do you remember how old he was when he entered the promised land? No, he was not 900, but that's a good guess. How, how old was he? Not 39. Yes, Decky? 75 is the correct answer. Play on for the car. Very good. Okay. Um, So what we're going to see here, I want you to do the maths, how old he is. Uh, Chapter 17 and verse 1. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I'll make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. Abram fell face down and God said to him, as for me, this is my covenant with you. 
you will be the father of many nations. No longer will you be called Abram, for your name will be Abraham. For I've made you to be a father of many nations. I'll make you very fruitful. I'll make nations of you and kings will come from you. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. The whole land of Canaan where you now reside as a foreigner, I will give as an everlasting possession to you and your descendants after you and I will be their God. Here's what happens. How long has he been waiting for? Someone can do the math. Come on. 24 years. Thanks, Darren. You're exactly right. Um, It's been 24 years of waiting. 24 years. Is anyone 24 here? Lauren is 24. Fantastic. Uh, Is anyone around in their 20s? You guys are, yeah. Thank you, Brent. Are you still in your 20s? How old are you, mate? Sorry? 20. Okay. How long has it been for you, uh, those 20 years? About my whole lifetime. Very good. Okay, excellent. Thanks, uh, thanks, mate. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Look at this strapping young man. Um, it's 20 years. That's a long time. That's a long time to be waiting. And all the time, what's ringing in his ears is God's promise, you're going to be a great nation. You're going to take over the land. And he's there going, all I'm doing is getting more arthritis. I haven't got one kid yet, and you're telling me I'm going to make nations? It's getting more and more unlikely every day. That's what he's thinking. So it's been 24 years of waiting, but God calls him to obey. Walk before me and be blameless, is what he says. That's what I want you to do. Walk before me and be blameless. Gee, there's your take home. What's God looking for? Walk before me and be blameless. But God amazingly takes the initiative and he tells him what he is going to do. God says, I will reiterate the covenant to you. I will do this. I will do this. I will do this. He says it again and again to Abraham. And you'll notice that he changed his name. You'll also notice how honest the Bible is. Have a look at verse 17 of chapter 17. Abraham was a very faithful man, and this is what he did. He fell face down. He laughed to himself and said, Will a, man, will a son be born to a man 100 years old? Will Sarah bear a child at the age of 90? It's unlikely, isn't it? Have you seen a 100-year-old person? They're not really in the childbearing age of their life. It's not, not looking very promising. So here we are. Uh, Covenant reaffirmed, but Abraham laughing at what God had said. Now, you notice that he changed his name. God changed his name. I want to explain the name change. Uh, Here is God's name in the Old Testament in Hebrew. Can you see this up here? Okay, it reads this way. yod Hey vav Hey, which we say is Yahweh. Can you say that? Oh, that was very convincing. Can you say that? Okay, in the Old Testament, when you see capital letters, L-O-R-D, Lord, this is what it's translating. yod Hey vav Hey. okay, Yahweh, that's God's name. It's got an H in it. These here are H's, okay? Now, Abram means exalted father. Sarai means my princess. Have a look what God does. God says to Abraham, you can have an H out of my name. And when you get an H out of my name, your name becomes father of a multitude. And he says to Sarai, you can have an H out of my name. And when she gets an H, her name means, her name means mother of nations. God says, I will give you my name and I want to remind you that the scope is global. That the scope is global. Isn't that awesome? Love that name change. Remember, Jesus is in the name change business as well, isn't he? You're Peter. And on this rock, I will build my church. Peter means rock. Here God is saying, you're Abraham because you are going to be the father of multitudes. It's pretty awesome. Now, does God keep his promise? 
So you know the answer already, don't you, Kathy? Yeah, the answer is, of course he does. Have a look with me. I want you to see that it does actually happen. In 21, uh, verses 1 to 5, this is what we see. Now, the Lord was gracious to Sarah, as he had said. And the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Sarah became pregnant and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the very time God had promised to him. Abraham gave the name Isaac to the son Sarah bore him. When his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. How awesome is that? And why did he name him Isaac? Does anyone know? Sorry? means he laughs. He named him, he laughs. It's also because I think God told him to name him, he laughs. But that's okay. Uh, God was faithful. Abraham kept his, kept his faith in God's promises. That was hard, wasn't it? He had to wait all that time. Abraham kept his faith in God's promises, and wonderfully, God kept his extraordinary promise. God kept his extraordinary promise. It was worth trusting God because God has a beautiful track record. Sure. Okay, so that's it. 4,000 years ago, family moving home. What on earth has that got to do with us? We're almost going to get to the present, and I want to do it by going via a letter written in AD 54. Bear with me, bear with me. We're going to go to the New Testament. We're going to look at a letter that was written to a church in a place called Galatia, which is in modern Turkey. And uh, in this letter, the letter to the Galatians, we see this. This is absolutely amazing. I want you to see how we connect Christianity to Abraham. Remember I said that? Have a look at this. Understand then that those who have faith are children of Abraham. Scripture foresaw that God would justify the Gentiles by faith and announce the gospel in advance to Abraham. All nations will be blessed through you. So those who rely on faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. So how do Christians connect to Abraham? Well, Abraham was faithful. He trusted God. And so Abraham is our father in faith. We're not descended by blood, but by trusting in the way that he trusted God. Does that make sense? Great, brilliant. So following Abraham makes two things clear to us. Number one, and this is in the letter to the Galatians. This is what it makes clear to us. You can try really hard. You can work really hard to be right before God. But, but here's what this letter says. All who rely on works of the law are under a curse. As it is written, curse is everyone who does not continue to do everything written in the book of the law. What you can try and do to be right before God is you can try and work really hard. But if you don't keep all the laws that God, that God has, then you're under a what? This is the magic number apparently, 613 laws in the Old Testament. Are you going to keep all of them? All right, responsive church, I'm going to tell you the answer. You are not going to keep all of them. And there's no way. And so if we try and work at being right before God, we will be under a curse. There's an opposite, and we follow Abraham in this. Have a listen to this. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law that's falling short of its standard by becoming a curse for us. He redeemed us in order that the blessing given to Abraham might come to the Gentiles through Christ Jesus, so that by faith we might receive the promise of the Spirit. Trusting God is the way we can be right before God. So we get, a, we get a choice. We can work at being good enough before God, in which case we'll be cursed. Or we can follow Abraham, trust God and what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And if we trust in Jesus' work, there's a blessing that's offered to us. The blessing that was offered to Abraham. Well, what do we learn tonight? We learn that God's vision for mission is 4,000 years old, at least. 
actually goes back further than that. But God's uh, mission vision is 4,000 years old, and it's global. It includes every nation on the face of the earth. And so I want to encourage us tonight, we should care about the ends of the earth. So where are the places that haven't heard yet about Jesus? We should be passionate about taking the word to them. But before we go overseas, can I encourage you to get started on the ends of the earth, which are in Oran Park, which some people think is the ends of the earth? So join God at the ends in Oran Park. We should be people who take this good news of Jesus to our little part of the world right here in Oran Park. Well, most of us have moved recently. Did anyone move in the last five years? Except for David. I think we all probably have, haven't we? So I want, so I want to encourage you, if you moved recently, that was pretty painful, but I want, you to, I want to encourage you to move again. Move again into God's plan. Some of you here tonight might need to move to get into trusting Jesus like Abraham did. Some of you need to move to take the message into God's world. All of us should get, a, get aboard Abram's removal country, company called Trust and Obey Removals, which has a global reach. I'm going to pray for us that we might follow our father Abraham in trusting God with all of our hearts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are trustworthy. We thank you that you kept your promise to a wrinkled up old man and a wrinkled up old lady. You gave them a son and through him, Father, you gave birth to a nation. Father, that seemed impossible. We thank you that you kept your promise and that you are the God of the impossible. Lord, we thank you that Jesus can forgive us from the curse of falling short of your law. We pray that like Abraham trusted you, we might trust Jesus. Father, would you give those of us who've already trusted in Jesus a passion to take your word to the ends of the earth, starting right here. We ask your help for that in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Well, Q&A time. I'm going to see if uh, we have any questions and what tricky things you might ask me. Uh, I did say uh, that I'm happy to take questions on anything. It'll be helpful if it's related to the text, but if it's not, you could ask me what the circumference of the moon is or anything like that. Um, If you ask me a particularly difficult question, I want to be honest enough to say there'll be some things you ask me and I'll say, I don't know, can I come back to you? But I would love to make this a part of our evening gathering and so I'd love to give you a chance. Has anyone got any questions from what we read tonight? Yeah, Kara. Yeah, very good. I'm not sure if you all heard the question. Um, Tower of Babel last week. This week, Abraham, what's the time gap between the two? Would have been super handy if I had that number convenient. I can't think of it off the top of my head, but I'll chase that down. Sorry? Four to five hundred years. Thanks, Jeff. Um, the, the second question was, hasn't he done something wrong by settling down, given that God scattered the people out after the Tower of Babel? I think the answer to that question is probably not, because they're in Ur of the Chaldeans, which was far, a pretty far distance away. Um, from where they had originally started. Oh, actually, not too far away, was it? The Tower of Babel wasn't too far away. Yeah, Babylon to Ur is probably a couple of hundred K, maybe, not very far. Uh, maybe they could be in trouble for settling down, Caro. That's a helpful thought. 
Um, but there were other cities like Haran around the place. And so the, the, the estimate would be the world is still being filled by some people. And I don't think God's intention was that you never have a home, that you're always in the caravan on the road, but it was that you're not allowed to clump together and fulfill his plan to fill the earth. So, yeah, good question, though. Thank you. Yeah, Ali. Great question. I did see your Karen Connect card on that. So, um, good question. So, uh, yes, I think that the, the reason I think it's still a 365-day year, I'll tell you why, they were people who grew stuff. Um, and so seasons only repeat, how often, mate? Once a year. They just repeat once a year, right? So if you said, oh, they're banking on a time scale that's different from us, all I'd say to you is, I think we're the people who'd lose track of time if we didn't have a clock, okay? Because my fruit is never out of season, right? But for them, there'd be stuff when things didn't grow, there'd be stuff when you had to sow things. And so I think it, it's almost impossible that they didn't have a year plan, even though it wasn't, maybe they weren't counting out 365 days, but they would have known when it was time to sow again, and that would have been a year apart from when the last time was to sow. So I think it's more likely that they kept better track of time than us, on the ba- if you get the comparison, on the basis that they were agrarian people who grew stuff. So, so, but then the next question is, so why did he live to 205 years? Yes. And the answer to that is, I don't know. Um, it appears that people at this point in time do have longer years. In fact, if you go further back than the Tower of Babel, you'll see some extraordinary lengths of life, up to 969 years, I think it is, for um, Methuselah. Uh, now, why that? Brief speculation, because you didn't get a chance to ask me the questions after we did the Garden of Eden. I think, speculation, the proximity to eating from the tree of life affected the people who ate from the tree of life. In other words, when they were eating from the tree of life in the Garden of Eden, they could have lived forever. They get kicked out of the garden, and I think, total speculation, I think something about having tasted the fruit of eternal life meant that they had an extraordinarily long life in that period after. What we see as we get closer and closer, to, certainly to Abraham and from here on, uh, people have very normal lifespans. We don't see extraordinary, and I think it's, it's getting further and further away from the tree of life. Now, that's total speculation. I've got no DNA or science or anything like that. But I think they must have been counting real years because they're farmers. That's my guess. And maybe you lose track when you're 900 and something. I don't know. That's entirely possible, right? But, but the reality is, I think that they were living longer because of their proximity to the tree of life. Peter, you were going to say something? Abram had a midlife crisis. That's really helpful. At 75, he had a midlife crisis. Kathy. Hmm. Hmm. That's helpful. Yes. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. For longer. Yeah. 
That's a really helpful comment, and that goes to your point too, Peter, that it was a midlife crisis. I think that's really helpful. Um, we'll, we'll say it was also the call of God, okay? So, but, 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 but yeah, folded in. He had his Harley, and he went up to um, the, the promised land. Um, any other questions from tonight? Yes, go, mate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So uh, he's in the promised land after chapter 12. So he's in chapter 12 at 75, and then he's in the promised land from the end of chapter, uh, chapter 12, verse, uh, verse 7. He says, The Lord appeared to Abram, and to your offspring I'll give this land. So build an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. And so he's actually in the promised land there in Bethel as a 75-year-old. So yeah, he spent 24 years in the promised land. Watching, as, and it says there, as a foreigner. Except he has a little excursion to Egypt. Yes, thank you. And I did have that on my map, Peter. Yeah, but you're right. You're exactly right. Was there a question at the back? And then we, we'll, we'll wrap up. Tom? What an exceptional question, Tom. Why is the promised land in Canaan? I honestly can't tell you, other than it appears God's focus here is, well, it's very interesting. Uh, will we completely derail the thing? We will. Um, basically, what, let me just tell you. Well, the, way, the way it works is uh, we've got a map. You've got um, Iraq going down there. You've got a big fat desert here. You've got Israel here, Turkey up here. Are you with me on the map? And then we've got Egypt down here. Okay. The most powerful kingdoms of the world were along these rivers here. Okay? That was where they, they initially grew up, the, the powerful kingdoms. There was also a powerful kingdom down here in Egypt. What happened for thousands of years was that trade would travel up through Israel and down into the Fertile Crescent over here. Okay? This body of land here, where Israel is, is the most travelled part of the whole of the ancient world, essentially. Okay, And I think God puts his people there to impact, guess what? The whole world. Now, is there anything particularly extraordinary about that spot? No, I would have gone to Iraq. It would have been much better there, I think, in terms of growing stuff and a whole bunch of things. But I think God is putting his people at the very center of all the powerful nations of the world. They'll all conquer Israel and go over it because he wants his people to impact the whole world. And amazingly, when the Romans connect all the world, there are roads that run from there all the way around and back up to Rome. There's a connection there so that that point in the world will actually be able to connect with every other point in the world when God chooses time. So, long answer to your question. Um, I don't know what's so special about Israel, but God chose it strategically, I believe, because his intent was to impact the ancient world. Is that cool? All right, I'm going to finish question time there. We're getting the hang of it. Great. Uh, you'll enjoy it more and more as we get onto it. I think it's really enjoyable. Thank you. Can I hand back to Michelle, who will tell you what's next, and remind us about dinner afterwards, I suspect.